You printed up words to the carols and gave them to the people. So they were singing. We had a wonderful time of fellowship afterwards and uh, yes. told them about the Bible study on Tuesdays. This Tuesday, we're having Bible study. A lot of people said they're going to come. But it was an extra special blessing because yesterday was their big Christmas celebration, their annual Christmas celebration. And I didn't find this out until way afterwards. It got canceled. Uh, the, the food vendors, for some reason, canceled. The musical director was sick. And Santa Claus was even coming. But he got a higher paying job for that day, so he canceled on Christmas. What a Santa So we were there in the morning, 10.30, and the Lord really blessed it. So they, they had a Christmas celebration. The right, the right Christmas. Thank you for all those who came out, and thank you for, for praying for that. And uh, I want to put out another shout out for Sound and Media. And even if the Lord, you don't feel led to, to serve those areas, just pray that, that the Lord would raise up. And I want to ask you to keep uh, Pastor Billy and Kathy and Carrie and Tracy in prayer because uh, Billy and Kathy's grandson died during the night. Uh, you can imagine it's a shock. So I was 30 years old. And Years ago, how many years ago was, was Jackson's service here? Probably seven or eight years ago. Seven or eight years ago, we had this man, Matthew's son's funeral here. He, he, he died. He was an infant. And, and I just found out that Matthew was getting married. Engaged and getting married. So just keep all the family in prayer. Especially this time of year. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. God of all comfort, Lord, no one can comfort better than you, Lord, and we just pray to lift up the whole family as we're dealing with this, this shocking death of Matthew, for his fiance, everyone, Lord, just comfort them, pour out your love, grace, and mercy. Just another example that we never know, we never know when our time here on earth is ending, spread your arms of love. Thank you for the blessing yesterday with the Cranberry Lord. Just pray that they heard the gospel and seeds were planted or watered. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. Your presence in our hearts, Lord. For those who embrace you as Lord and Savior. We need comfort, Lord. We need your strength in every day. Every day. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing. We come before your throne to worship you. Our great King, our Savior, our Redeemer. For you anoint our pastor, our God, your precious word. Your word is, is true. Words take our life. Lord, please further impress upon us the great love you showed. You gave your very life so we might have life, real life and eternal life. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for first loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship our King of Kings.
Alleluia. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And Lord, I know that this morning as uh, the Odell family grieves the passing of uh, Matthew, Billy's grandson, Lord, I, there's no words. There's no words to express. But God, I'm so thankful for these verses because your spirit knows us and knows our weaknesses, knows our infirmities, and can take those things, the groanings of our heart, and present them right to the throne of God. So we lift that family up to you now, God, and pray your ministering, ministering spirit would just hold them close and comfort them. And Lord, I don't know, we don't have the answers, but you do. We trust in our sovereign God. So please, please, uh, use Matthew's passing, Father, to your glory, that others too would, they would come to know Jesus, the greatest gift of all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Good morning, family. Thank you for your prayers uh, from last week. Last weekend, we were in Pittsburgh at a family wedding, so God got us there safely, and a whole bunch of us picked up viruses and stuff, so that's... Uh, I guess that happens when you go out of town, but if I'm feeling better, praise God for that. Um, family, today we're once again, and this isn't the last time, we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This verse is just so full. So turn to Acts 20, verse 24, and I'll read the verse. It's not a lot to read, but there's, a, there's, there's a, so much in it. <clears throat> The title of today's message is uh, Paul's Motivation, and, and I think it's so important for us to understand, you know, when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul and some of the things that he was warned against, we talked about that, you know, what, what motivated this man to do what he did? And, and we have some clear answers from the Scriptures this morning, and I, I pray that what we learned from the Scriptures this morning, we can apply to our own lives too, so that our motives for serving the Lord are, are proper. It's really important that our motives are proper. So, Acts 20, verse 24 says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That's a real mouthful. You know, we've been looking at this farewell address that the Apostle Paul was, was giving. This is a sermon that he wrote for the, the elders at the church of Ephesus. He gathered them together in the city of Miletus to talk to them about uh, proper church leadership and sharing certainly very, things very dear and close to his heart. Uh, and it's like some final instructions that he's giving them because he knows he's not going to see them again. But uh, as he's handing this leadership of the, the church, and Ephesus was a large church, a prominent church in the area, um, 
he's handing off a very, very large responsibility. And, you know, Paul had spent three years there ministering to the people, so he knows that as he's seen the Lord's hand in that work, he wants to make sure it continues, and he wants to make sure it's done right, transferring it to them and bringing honor to God. That's really what it's about. It's not about Paul. It's not about the elders. It's about bringing honor and glory to God. So here he gives us some valuable insight on the trials he faced. He had opposition in his life. He always experienced difficulties. I'm not talking about hangnails or coughs or colds. I'm talking about real difficulties. These are trials that he faced. And, you know, what did he do? How did he handle these things and continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? So as we look at verse 40, 24 to see what Paul did... In, in the face of upcoming hardship, because remember what was shared with him in verses 22 and 23. He said, and now, behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Remember, that was Paul's heart. He was going to stop in Miletus, meet with the elders on his way back to the city of Jerusalem, for he wanted to be there for the Feast of Pentecost. And he said, I go bound in a spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. In other words, I don't really know the specifics of what's going to come to me, except that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, every city of the cities he would stop by, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Chains and afflictions awaited him. So he knew, at least in part, what he was about to face. In verse 23, there's three things that he did. The first thing that he did, we studied this two weeks ago. He said, none of these things, the things that the Holy Spirit warned him against, he said, none of these things move me. You see, he, he refused to let any of his circumstances, no matter how difficult they would present themselves as, no matter, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> how painful they were, he wouldn't allow them to move him. And the word move in the Greek language means to, to make him do something or bring about something that was perhaps un, unanticipated. He said, I'm not going to allow any of these things to cause me to change my course. I'm not going to allow any of these things to drive my decision-making. My mind is made up. I'm going to go. I'm going to do what I need to do, and nothing is going to stand in my way. No detours. The second thing we find in verse 24, and of course we see Paul's determination in the face of all these things that opposed him, he was very determined. As we look at the determination, I find it very inspiring because, <coughs> pardon me, I'm sorry. To be honest, as I look at, at the Apostle Paul, I have to ask myself, why did he do this? Knowing what would come against him, what's behind his decision to say that Hey, none of these things move me. What is it that he esteemed so highly that he would resist very, very strong human instincts to flee from pain and suffering? Isn't that a normal reaction? To flee from pain and suffering? A strong sense of self-preservation? Well, he tells us what was behind his commitment, his commitment that none of these things move me. In verse 24 at the end, you'll see it. He says, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He knew what he was called to do. 
And he said, nothing is going to prevent me from doing that. To preach the gospel and to offer God's, uh, to give God's offer of forgiveness and salvation to sinful man through Jesus Christ. That's the essence of the gospel, isn't it? And Paul said, that's what I must do. He knew that it was by grace that a person saved through faith. In fact, he wrote to the Ephesian church. He said in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, he said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, he's saying there's nothing that any person can do to somehow merit their way into heaven. It's impossible. He said it's a gift from God, and we don't earn gifts, do we? No, we don't earn gifts. They are given to us. And God gives us the gift of salvation because of the faith, not only of Jesus, but our faith in Jesus, in his finished work on the cross. He's the one who declared it is finished. The payment for your sin debt, Dan, and each of us has a name. You can put your name in there. The payment for your sin debt, Jesus took upon himself. And that was a death sentence. And that death sentence is what gave me and those that believe by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work, that is why and that is how we're able to live eternally in heaven with our glorious Savior. Amen. What a beautiful truth that is, isn't it? And that's the gospel. God did that for us. I didn't do it. He did it. And he continues to save lives every single day. You see, Paul knew that the gospel would change the lives of other people just like the gospel changed his. Remember his history. I mean, you look at his credentials going into this. Well, a very religious man. However, before he came to Christ, he was a murderer. He confessed that throughout the New Testament. He was a murderer. He set out to kill Christians because he hated them and he hated the God that loved them and served, that he, that served him. But then one day, one glorious day, and this is after he witnessed a deacon in the early church named Stephen being stoned to death, and he's there uh, as a Pharisee rooting him on, basically, supporting this death sentence, seeing Stephen be stoned and holding the cloaks of the garments of those that are hurling these stones so they'd be free to throw them. And he saw Stephen's face, and he looked up to heaven and he said something very similar to what Jesus said on the cross. He said, lay not the sin to their charge. And he knew he was going to heaven because the heavens opened up. And who did he see? Remember? He saw Jesus standing to welcome him into heaven. Was it because of Stephen's goodness? No, he was a faithful servant. But it's because of what Jesus had done on his behalf. And Paul witnessed this, who was Saul. And he went one day from being a murderer and a hater of God to one that said, Lord, what will you have me to do? His heart changed how quickly? Just like that, just like mine, just like yours. So he knew that this gospel that he, he chose to preach, it was passionate about, it changed lives. 
He knew it was the most important message that any person could ever hear in their entire life, and that was pleasing to God. You know, Pastor Andrew did a beautiful job last week talking about witnessing. And, you know, I'm so thankful for the folks that witnessed to me. And I'm sure you're thankful for those that told you about Jesus and his life-saving work. But, you know, think back on your life. What was it that had the absolute biggest impact on you? On your security. I'm talking about eternal security. On the hope that you have. On your eternity. How about on your countenance? On your joy? Who is it that had the biggest effect on your human relationships? Or on the peace that you have in, in spite of the difficulties of life? Who was it? What was it? You can trace it all the way back to the gospel in the moment that you received Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You can mark that day and you know this is when my life changed forever and for eternity and I'm so grateful that he changed my life. You know, there were many, many times I rejected the gospel of salvation when it was shared with me. But one thing I learned Rejecting the gospel didn't change my life one single bit for the better. I didn't think I needed change in my life at that time. It was many years. But when I finally responded to the grace of God as presented in the gospel, he made great changes. Three enormous changes in my life. First, I had the security that my eternity was in heaven took the question marks that I had in my mind, where am I going to end up? And God put an exclamation point over my eternity. I knew where I was going. And second, the second enormous thing that God did in my life, he saved our marriage. We were headed for divorce court. And God saved us. He saved Jackie first, he saved me next, and what did he do? He restored our marriage and we're going to be married 44 years this coming February, praise God. You know, that, that's all to the glory of God. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with Jackie. We love each other. We love Jesus and what he did. He brought us together. He said, I'm going to wrap you guys in this cord of love. And it's not easily broken. And the third thing, third enormous thing that he did, he reprioritized my life. He's number one, which is where he belongs. My family is number two. Work life became number three. And you know what? That's God's order. That's God's order. And I'm grateful that God brings order to our lives. Notice, too, in this verse that Paul's supreme goal in this life was to finish his course with joy. What does it mean to, when he says to finish my course with joy? Well, it speaks of the ministry to which Jesus called him. That is testifying of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said that I might finish my ministry with joy. Now, what does it look like to finish my course with joy? Well, right from the lips of Jesus. He said this in Matthew 25, verse 23. Well done, Thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of thy Lord. Well done. Well done, 
thou good and faithful servant. Does it mean Paul was a perfect servant? No. Does it mean that you and I are perfect servants of the Lord? No. That's where the grace of God comes in, doesn't it? Yeah. The Bible teaches us that each and every one of us as Christians will one day, we will stand before Jesus at the Bema seat of Christ. The Bema seat is a judgment seat of Christ, not to be confused with the great white throne judgment. We, we, stu we studied that several weeks ago. The great white throne judgment, that's for those who have rejected Christ. Those that have said no to the gospel. That judgment is the judgment for sin that every unbeliever will face. And it's a sad day. It's a horrible day. But for those that have trusted in Christ, our judgment has already taken place. When and where? A couple thousand years ago on the cross at Calvary by Jesus, the Son of God. The Bema seat of Christ is also called the reward seat of Christ. And one day, we'll give account for our faithfulness to his call upon his life. And then, you know, as if heaven wasn't enough, he says, I'm going to give you rewards for those things that last. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Paul wrote that. He knew he'd be rewarded, but his greatest reward was Jesus. And because his greatest reward was Jesus, he said, I want to be pleasing to him. His aim, his primary motive was to be well-pleasing to God by testifying the gospel of the grace of God. And his desire to be well-pleasing to the Lord is birthed out of his love for Jesus. You see, that's where it has to begin, doesn't it? Our love for him, which is a response to the love that he has for us. The Bible tells us this, that we love him because he loved us first. He first loved us. In other words, our God, the creator of the universe, the one who breathed life into you, he initiated a love relationship. It's not that we went searching for God. No, he loved us first. While we were yet sinners, the Bible tells us that he died for us. In the midst of our rebellion, did Jesus ever stop loving you when you were in rebellion against him? Did he ever stop loving you when you sinned yesterday or the day before? No. He loves us because he loves us, and that is grace, isn't it? Undeserved merit, undeserved favor, undeserved love, and he initiated this whole relationship that we have with him. And his relationship that he initiated brought Jesus all the way to the cross of Calvary where he would lay his life down for you and for me. Paul's motive, to be well-pleasing to God by testifying the gospel of the grace of God. You know, family, there's a lot of motives in our service to the Lord and in the ministry when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, there were many, many false teachers there and a lot of critics of the Apostle Paul. They were working very hard in, in the city of Corinth to turn hearts of the people away from the Apostle Paul. Well, why? Because their, their motives were improper. 
There was other things they had in mind rather than serving the Lord, so they would attack somebody like Paul for sharing the truth, bringing his ministry into question. And, you know, people can serve the Lord for a whole variety of different reasons. I mean, maybe the desire for recognition, that's a possibility. For fame, desire for authority. Or as the church at Corinth, they, had a, they wanted to do it their way instead of God's way. There can be a million motives, but you know what? Family Paul the Apostle had just one. And it should be ours too, not only to serve him in the ministry, but in everyday life. And that is, he said, my goal, my aim is to be well-pleasing to God. And when you think about that phrase, well-pleasing to God, it encompasses every single aspect of our lives, doesn't it? Remember that Paul the Apostle, he was, he was stoned and left for dead in Derby. The next day, he got up. He was alive. God held him. God kept him. He got up and he continued to minister. I'm going right back there to minister to these people that stoned me. Why? Because they need to know Jesus. Imminent death didn't cause him to bail out. The criticism that he withstood, the ridicule that he faced didn't cause him to lose heart because his desire was what? To please the Lord. He didn't give up. He knew his calling and no circumstance would move him from it. If any of us are serving the Lord in whatever capacity, and if we're serving to be noticed, or prominence, or recognition, or to please ourselves, or because it just seems like a good thing to do, what's going to happen is that the very first time you get, quote-unquote, beaten up verbally or in, or in some other way, your, your motive won't hold up. The first time someone turns against you, or turns against us, or hurts us, or disappoints us, Guess what? Your improper motives won't hold up. We'll say, well, I'm, I'm quitting this. I can't do this anymore. I give up. I can't take it. I have to move on. But if your motive is to simply please God by fulfilling the calling that God has placed and given you, then you will continue to serve him as long as he called you to serve. So, yes, there's a lot of reasons people stop serving, but much of it is wrapped up in wrong motives. I want things done my way, and if I can't do it my way, I'm done. Or I don't like what you said or did. Well, gee, if we responded that way in every aspect of life, we'd never talk to anybody, would we? No. Paul faced a steady diet of that. But he continued to do what God had called him to do, and that is to please God in everything. May it always be that simple in our lives. <laughs> we always do what we, we do to please God. What a, what a broad brush approach to life that would be, wouldn't it? It's not easy, though, is it? It's where God's grace comes in. You know, the longer we walk with the Lord, it seems to get more complicated. And all the things can begin to enter into our hearts. There's distractions in this world, aren't there? You know, if you make a decision that well, no matter what I do, I'm going to please God, guess who's knocking on your door next? Right? 
and the enemy will attack you. Sometimes we just get weary in well-doing. There's discouragement as we serve the Lord. But if our motives are simply please God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to press on. We need to press on. The world needs us to press on. The world may not recognize that Christians need to press on, but we need to press on. There are souls that need to come to Christ. But sometimes we have to do a self-assessment, don't we? Stop for a moment and ask ourselves, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or what's, what's changed in my life? Would I still do it if, Dan, would you still do this if only five people showed up on a Sunday morning? Would I still do this for the same reasons we did at the beginning when he started serving the Lord when only Angie and Kathy Lavulo showed up at our house one night for Bible study? It's a good thing to search our hearts and ask ourselves the question, why did I serve the Lord to begin with? Or why do I serve the Lord even now? I want to just take a couple minutes to look back on our, our history here at Living Water and ask questions. Like when we, we first met at Bishop Kearney High School right over here, some of you were with us. And praise God for that. But, you know, if you think back, you know, why in the world would we spend so much time cleaning up a former convent when we were up there for just a handful of people? Why would we scrub the toilets and fix up all the little rooms that were left a mess or fix the window shades or repair the ventilation system? Why did we clear out the entranceway from all the junk that was there? We had to go through a service entrance. Why did we week after week ride up on this rickety old elevator up to the third floor? And why did we have to share the same mud-treaded entrance with the football team, <laughs> right? We'd sweep it out, and the next thing we'd come in, it's full of mud. Those football players. <laughs> or why did we put up with the school students who would come upstairs, sneaking upstairs and rearrange all our stuff or tamper with our sound equipment? I was sharing with, with Sue this morning Thinking back, you know, 20 years ago when we had made a decision, we're going to purchase Bibles for the entire student body. And I remember driving over there one day in an afternoon, and you know who met me there was Sue's dad, Dick, Dick Bowden. He helped me unload them all. It's a sweet memory. What did, what did they do with the Bibles? Well, they gave them to everybody. What did the students do with them? I don't know. But they had them. Why? Well, we, we felt like it was well-pleasing to the Lord. And when we came here at 1440 East Ridge Road, you know, why did we gather in this, this parking lot over here before we even stepped inside the building and prayed? It was well-pleasing to God. Why did we put up with the stink inside this building that had been shut up for five years? It's like we could smell the inside here. It smelled horrible. From the outside, we could smell it. Why did we literally spend hundreds of hours away from our families to renovate? 
you know, that's then, but how about today? Why do we volunteer to serve in children's ministry or seniors' ministry or the worship ministry? Why do we even ever attempt to teach a Bible study? Why? I pray that in the absolute simplest of terms, it had to be well-pleasing to God. You see, and family, this is just history. It, it's not... It's not patting anybody on the back. It's, it's history. Why, why do we do? Why have we done? Why do we do what we do? May it always be that kind of motive to always do what's pleasing to God. Why do folks come in and vacuum the rugs every week? And don't, you don't even know who they are. You think the supplies that end up here just appear? Somebody takes care of that. Why? Because it's well-pleasing to God. I don't have any other explanation. Well, Paul the Apostle had another motive, too. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, he said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We mentioned this, the Bema seat that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul said, I realize that, that I have an appointment one day before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to stand before the Son of God to give account for how faithful I have been in a ministry to which I've been called. And notice here in this verse, he doesn't speak only of himself. He speaks of all believers in Corinth, all believers here at Living Water, and believers everywhere. He said, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, not the white throne judgment. That's Revelation 20. Our sentence has passed over us already. And we look forward to heavenly rewards, crowns of glory that Jesus will give us. And you know what we're going to do? We're not going to put them on our heads. We're going to throw them right, set them, and not throw them at Jesus, put them at the feet of Jesus. Because apart from him, we would have nothing. The Bema seat, it's a reward seat. You know, similar to our Olympics. In Corinth, they had the Isthmian Games, and Paul used it as an analogy. And here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He says, do, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, a gold medal or a silver medal or whatever, but we do it for an imperishable crown. And the, uh, the, the athletes would do well in their races, just like the Olympic Games. There would be top finishers. They'd rise to the platform, and the highest finisher would take the highest position and lower his head, and they would place a gold garland on his head. The second-place finish, finisher was giving a silver one, and third, a bronze one. It's reward. It's an acknowledgment that they did well. But for the believer, we may never receive war, rewards here on earth for what we do. That's of eternal value. And that's fine. You know, I don't, I don't seek earthly rewards. That's perishable. Our aim is what? The 
imperishable crown, the one that will never fade, never go away. Our motive is to please God. We don't need the reward of man or the accolades of man, but of God. So in heaven, when we as believers stand before the bema seat of Christ, our reward will be, thank you for all your hard work in my name. All the diligence, all the things of eternal value, the things that no one else even knew about but Jesus. Things that had eternal value. He said, I'm going to give you heavenly rewards. And you know, I don't think that, that God ever intended for us that once saved just to put us on the shelf and look pretty. No, he's called us to be used by him. He's called us to serve him in some way, and he has gifted us to do so, so that eternal seeds would be sown in the lives of others. The seeds that, that were planted in your heart that, that came to fruition, and you begin to walk with Jesus, and there becomes spiritual fruit coming forth from your life. It's like when a flower goes to seed, it develops seeds. Those seeds grow flowers. They drop seeds. And you know, this is the way it is in the Christian life too. Seeds coming forth from your life or you're planting and watering. And God is, he's so wonderful. He, he said, I'm going to give you increase. Think about it. You plant a seed in the ground. Do you make it grow? Well, we, we water, right? We fertilize. You know, Scott and Roseanne know very well what, what that's about. They got a farm. But they can't make it grow. God does it. And the same, the fruit in our lives. You know, God places a seed in there and somebody waters it and God, he provides the increase. You see, it has to be all about him. Eternal seeds will be sown from your life to others so that they too will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. He said, he said take my yoke upon you. This isn't something we see very often today, but it was a wooden implement that was placed around the necks of two oxen to keep them together in doing their work in the fields. And at culture, it was a common symbol of submission and service. And what Jesus is telling us, we're to accept his leading, his direction in our lives. We've come to know him as Savior. Now the next step that we, as we accept his direction and leading in our lives to join him in his work for his purposes in this world. Now, it's a, to me, it's a very remarkable thing. We can join Jesus in his work on this earth to bring souls to him. And we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We do it with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit of God, yoked to him, laboring with him. And this is where we go deep in relationship with him. And without Christian service, sure, some will be saved, but spiritual growth will be stunted. You see, when we serve the Lord, when we, we're actually engaging in the work of the Lord, it, it does something in us too, doesn't it? 
You know, think about the last time you shared the gospel with somebody and they just looked at you and they, they received it, they heard you, or maybe they rejected you, but you still did it. And you might have walked away scratching your head thinking, well, why didn't they get this? It wasn't the time. But something happened. You planted a seed or you watered a seed that somebody else has planted and you're trusting that God would bring an increase. And God says that his word never returns void. So we can walk away from encounters that we might say that was unsuccessful. And we can say, God, this is yours. I've done what you asked me to do and I pray it was well-pleasing to you in the way that I presented this. That they knew it was the love of God speaking to my heart, to that person's heart. And then say, he's yours or she's yours. And then those times, those other times when you're sharing with somebody and they seem to be engaged with you and maybe even receive Christ, and you walk away so strengthened and motivated, don't you? To know that somehow God, the God of heaven can use me. It's encouraging. Serving the Lord is encouraging. It helps our relationship with him grow. Ministry forces us to grow. So the Christian life is a life of service, joining Jesus in, in this wonderful, beautiful work that he has gotten for us in this fallen world. And I don't think you can really have a service-free walk with Jesus. And here's why. Just read it. We are yoked to him. And what's he doing? The scriptures tell us that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. In Matthew 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So it's impossible to live the Christian life without serving him in some way and having an influence on the lives of those around you. Why? Because you're yoked to Jesus. You're sharing your faith. It might be something very simple as, Hey, can I help you with that? You know, see somebody struggling to get their groceries in the back of their car, you know, trying to lift them out of the cart. Maybe an elderly person. They say, can I help you with that? And you know what? That opens up all kinds of opportunities. They might just say, thank you. You could say, well, praise be to God. Could be in your giving, teaching the word of God serving as a greeter, whatever it might be, being, being an example to others. That's powerful. Just to be an example to others, you know. They'll watch. How do you respond? Well, I would have never responded that way. You responded in love, and I would have responded with anger. What is it? How'd you do that? I didn't do it. Jesus did it in me. That's well-pleasing to God, isn't it? Or as a worker. And somewhere in my life, I'm, I'm giving my life away in order to join Jesus in his work that he set out to do. And we can, we're partners with Christ. Not that we do the work. He does the work. We do the serving. And you know, he, we have the promise of Jesus that he's going to reward us for those kind of things. It's like, it's amazing to me. 
And those rewards, of course, we talked about motive. It needs to be proper motives. Again, if I serve someone that someone's going to notice, you know, those, those works will be judged by fire. They'll be burned up. Well, I won't be burned up. I'm not going to lose my salvation. But those works, they're going to be nothing. So as we serve Jesus, it's not about who notices. And sometimes, you know, I can be guilty of wanting a pat on the back. Full disclosure. Maybe some of you feel the same way. So don't pat me on the back anymore. It's, it's too painful to think about afterwards. <laughs> what are you doing? You big dummy. <laughs> And see, I don't want my rewards here. I want them in heaven. This is perishable. As a Christian, the longer we walk as Christians in this life begins to translate into God's work in this world. You, you know, you are having an impact in this world. You, you need to know that. Sometimes you think, well, we can all think, ah, oh, Oh, that was just, a, it seems like a wasted week or a wasted day, whatever it might be. You know, if you're walking with Jesus and your aim is to be well-pleasing to him and you don't see the results, okay, fine. Doesn't mean God's work isn't being done. You just keep on keeping on. God is using you. He's using you in the lives, lives of others as his, perhaps his mouthpiece or his hands or his feet or his eyes, or his ears. Did you ever just sit and listen to somebody that just wants somebody to, to listen to them? And while you're listening, you'll be praying for them. Say, God, I don't even know what to say right now. This person's hurting. And he would say, you pray. I hear it all. Just pray for that person and be ready. If I ask you to respond, then you respond. God's work in this world, it's accomplished through all of us. It could be in your home, in your workplace, or in your school. It happens all over the place. We leave the footprints of Jesus wherever we go. That's the way it has to be. And one day we'll stand before Jesus at that Bema seat, and you know we're going to look directly into his face. And my desire, and I know yours is too, to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is Jesus gives us rewards. Here, Jesus, these belong to you. They belong to you. Paul's life was dominated by being well-pleasing to the Lord <laughs> with a desire to finish his course with joy and to hear those very words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And when you think about a man that lived his life with that face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus as his motive, you begin to understand the heart of the Apostle Paul. And he knew that as God called him to share the gospel that was well-pleasing to the Lord, everything he did, he said, I want to be well-pleasing to my Lord. What is that? That's single-mindedness, isn't it? That's singular focus. You know, James would tell us that a double-minded man, double man is unstable in all of his ways. Paul said, I just want to be single-minded. Well, how about you? And how about me? You know, is it time to check your motives for doing what you do? 
you know, how you handle your home life, your relationships with other people. Is it well-pleasing to God? Or even in your, in your job, in your workplace, you don't know the guy you work for. That's his problem. What's our aim? To be well-pleasing to God. Or when somebody treats you just like absolute garbage or doesn't seem to even care about you, what are you going to do? Respond in a way that's well-pleasing to God? Or get in the flesh like I do sometimes? Or maybe even coming to church on Sundays, coming to fellowship. What? Why? Is it because it's well-pleasing to God? It is well-pleasing to God that you're here. It pleases him to know that his children gather together to worship him and to praise him and then to enjoy the sweetness of fellowship with one another because iron sharpens iron, the Bible tells us. We need each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to be here for one another. Do you want to hear those words? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Those are the words that I want to hear. Do I deserve them? I don't think so. Because I don't consider myself to be faithful. But by the grace of God, he sees me as a finished work. And my faithfulness isn't my faithfulness, the faithfulness of Christ in me. And that's what God sees. Next time, should the Lord tarry, we're going to look at what's required to live a life with that kind of singleness of mind. We're going to be in verse 24 again next week, should the Lord tarry. So be ready for that. Read ahead. There's a few more words in this verse. <laughs> but in the meantime, you know, I, I was thinking about this news this morning about you know, Pastor Billy's grandson. It's hard news. A 30-year-old man. 30 years old. Passed away in his sleep. But it makes me think, you know, um, I don't know when I'm going to breathe my last. Nor do you. And what this means to me is that we need to be prepared. I'm sure that when, when Matthew laid his head down on a pillow last night, he had any inkling that he wouldn't see today. We just don't know. And if we put off coming to Christ and making that decision for, for Jesus, it's it's a, that's an awful gamble, isn't it? And I don't know where Matthew stood with the Lord. I have no idea. I don't know him that well at all. I praise home with Jesus. 
But do we want to take a chance on gambling with our eternity when God presents it to us in such a wonderful way and he said, just, just come to me and trust in me for the forgiveness of your sin and I have an eternity waiting for you so beautiful, but you need to come to me on my terms. Why put off for another moment what needs to be done right now? And it really does. It needs to be done right now. And I know when I was younger and before I came to Christ, I thought, oh, gee, I got all kinds of years ahead of me. Well, I praise God I did, but they aren't guaranteed. And I'm thankful that God was patient with me. Yeah. You too, Ruby? Yeah. And he's long-suffering and... He put people in my life that prayed for me and loved me enough to share the truth with me. And then at the just right moment, I said, okay, I'm coming to you, Jesus. And you know what? He didn't have my arm twisted behind my back. He drew me with, with love. And that's the only way he draws it's a beautiful thing when you think about it. For God so loved the world, and you can put your name in there, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, in Jesus, would not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful invitation that is. He's just come to me. The judgment for my sin Jesus took upon himself. Would you like to receive Jesus today? If you haven't, you need to receive Jesus today. And I'm, I can't twist arms, and I can't scare you into heaven, but I can bring the truth of the gospel to your heart today and allow Jesus to do the work. And all he's asking is to come to him by faith, trusting that he is a God that he said he is. That he laid his life down on a cross over 2,000 years ago and, and suffered a horrible death, beaten, tortured, and he bled so that you and I could receive forgiveness of our sin. You see, he died, and when he died, he paid a price. The punishment that I deserve, God said, to his son Jesus, he said, it belongs to you. I love them too much. Let's let them go on their way. Their punishment, their pain becomes yours. He died in my place, in other words. The Bible says that greater love has no man than this, than one that would lay down his life for his friends. He laid his life down for you and me. So we must be his friends. He's a good God. So would you pray with me, please? And, and Lord, I come to you this morning, and I don't want to live another day apart from you. I believe that there is a heaven, a wonderful place, a place where Jesus dwells, and I want to be there. 
I'm asking now, I'm acknowledging your, you as God, you as Savior, and I'm asking now that you would forgive me of all of my sin. All of it. I don't have anything else to bring to you now. So I'm bringing you my sin, asking you to take it and forgive me of every wrong that I've ever committed and will ever commit. And I do believe and I trust that when you laid your life down on the cross, it was for me. Full and complete payment for the judgment that I deserve. I thank you for loving me so much to lay down your own life. And I bring my heart to you right now. Invite you to be Lord of my life. Give me a new life, Lord Jesus. My life is no longer my own. It belongs to you. Help me to live in a way that's pleasing to you. Well-pleasing to you, God. And help me to turn from my ways and to embrace you fully. And I'm asking for your help into living this new life. Please do this work now. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. And I am just been given brand new resurrected life. And I thank you for that. And I praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he?